2: National Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxey, and this is ReSound. ReSound is a remix of documentaries, found sounds, sound bites, and oral yins and yangs we find all over the world. We listen to everything we can get our ears on, then bring you the best of what we hear each week. Tonight, we're recording live at The Hideout, a sweet, sweet, cozy bar with a back room that's host to some of the best music and conversations in Chicago. Our theme for the evening, Odd Couples.
3: Felix and Oscar. Kermit and Miss Piggy. Batman
4: and Robin.
1: Pickles and ice cream. Cheddar and caramel. Whiskey and Thin Mints. Is it
2: about the odd couple? The intrigue, the fascination, the sweet otherness of someone who's so radically different from us. Have we had it with ourselves, sick of the sameness and longing for new stimulus? Or is there something about the chemistry of the odd couple that takes a little from one, a little from the other, and forms a new entity altogether? A space and a time in which both individuals are elevated energized and entwined. Hard to know, but fun to ponder. Toad and
1: Frog. Dennis Rodman and North Korea. Lucy and Desi.
5: Surf and Turf. Lupin and Tonks. Jad and Robert. I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krulwich. This is Radio World.
2: Now, The May-December relationship has always been a particularly fascinating archetype in the pantheon of odd couples. In the case of our first story, this couple is miles apart chronologically, but one happens to be preternaturally mature, and one is particularly youthful. And it is in that magnetic field where they intersect, when all the atoms get stirred up, that magic happens.
1: The summer I met Louis, I was living alone in an attic, far from home, in the house of my second cousins, at least once removed. It was my just-got-out-of-college-don't-want-to-go-back-home move. I had a part-time, unpaid internship, and no job. My cousins, who are world-class scientists at the University of Chicago, were always generous and kind, but there could be no stopping it. I felt wildly adrift and bluntly alone. Then I met Louie. Um, what? The first time I saw him, he hurled down the stairs, tore open the door, and stared at me. What do you want? He spit out. What I thought I wanted was a job as his nanny. But as soon as I stepped forward, Louie ran away screaming. Get out of here! Inside, he was climbing the couches and pawing his mother's face with his feet. She didn't seem to notice. Then he scooped their giant black and white cat off the floor like he was getting ready to toss a baby.
6: Kitty, kitty, Katie, kitty, 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 kitty,
1: kitty, kitty, cat! I left with no intention to return. Hi, this is Maya. But then Louis's mom called. We know you're thinking about moving out of the neighborhood, she said, but I just wanted you to know that we really loved you. How could I refuse that? I needed friends anywhere I could find them even if one was a child who seemed like he'd spent the last six years living alone in the wilderness. But that wasn't really who he was.
6: Okay, so you get the kettle, the nice little kettle. You open it, you pour out all the old, disgusting water. You fill it up. Well, not all the way to the top. Just about where you think your cup of tea is going to be, and you turn it on, and you wait, wait, and you just wait. This is so easy.
1: The key thing about this babysitting gig was that I didn't actually have any work to do. Okay. Louie didn't have homework in the house, had no rules. I
6: search on YouTube. Uh, Mario Tetris. And find funny videos. It's like a mixture of Mario and Tetris. It is an epic game. <laughs>
1: As long as Louis's parents came home and he was still alive, I'd done my job. All I had to do was follow him around. He showed me his apartment, his school, and the neighborhood. How much more school do you have left?
6: I have this week, and then next week, and then off.
1: Louis loved words like, gosh dang it, and idiot face, which he hurled at other people as though hacking through brush.
6: These little brats are getting on my nerves,
1: jerks. But Louis was also seven, and certain things never failed to make him giggle. All dogs, especially ones with whiskers. Dog, let's pet it. And graffiti on stop signs. And being called the devil, which he thought was hilarious. He also loved food. He loved chocolate. He loved the smell of chocolate. He loved bowls of salad. Each individual leaf.
6: I'm about to interview this chicken.
1: So you're gonna interview the chicken?
6: I'm gonna interview the chicken rice. Yeah. Oh, this chicken. Woo! That was right into heaven. I could admire this all day without stopping. Maya, this is a really special day.
1: (laughs) Okay, so we have to do more? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. shoot. No!
6: Whoever gets to sleep first wins!
1: In winter, we played rock, paper, scissors and danced wildly to Billy Joel. Dance around for no reason. We stomped around the hardwood floors and shook salt around the kitchen. Three, two, one, go! We climbed and wrestled and burped. Are you gonna splash through the puddle? Do you ever go around puddles? No. I'm always so curious about everything.
6: Look at you respect my curiousness?
1: but louie also told me he didn't have friends at school his mom worried about it too was he too mean or too weird did the other kids just not understand him do you think you're different than other people in your class or the same
6: very different i'm much more weird and stuff
1: what I mean, do the weirdest thing about you?
6: Um- I don't really play a lot.
1: Although he never said it, I was pretty sure I'd become Louis's best friend.
6: Maya, my sidekick for right now.
1: And he'd become mine too.
6: So she's asking me for um
1: guidance. Louis had chosen me not to work for him, but to love. And this made my new job an aberration, a small miracle we'd accidentally invented. What does tea remind you of? It reminds me
6: of how lucky we are to have tea, I mean.
1: What do you think we should be most grateful for in our lives?
6: Life. Life. Yeah. Most grateful for life. Would you like to be a hand. Would you, uh, for who you are? Would you like to be an orange that's bound to be picked and eaten? Would you, would you, would you like to be a big oak tree who's bound to be chopped down? Would you like to be a kitty who's on the street? Would you like to be a garbage can full of trash and junk? Would you like to be a booger stuck in someone's nose? Would you like to be smoke who dissolves in the air? Would you like to be an onion Would you like to be some coffee? Would you like to be a teapot? Would you like to be a pan? Would you like to be a calendar? Would you like to be a dog? Yes. Dogs are awesome. They're furry and cute and they have great noses. Okay, go get me a cup.
0: Why?
6: I need to pour the hot water. I need to pour the hot water. Is it ready? Yeah. I know it's ready because this turned off. Any it? No,
0: thank you.
1: Nope. But here's the thing. At the beginning of the year, when Louise's mom had called me to convince me to work for her family, she'd told me something else too. Don't worry, she'd said. This is going to be totally temporary. We're moving to France in a year. And at the time, I looked around my empty attic room feeling totally relieved.
6: Um, Maya, talk about how
1: you feel. I feel... It's been seven months since Louis's family moved to Paris. I've made other friends and moved into a legit apartment with Craigslist roommates, of course. Well, one half of my brain knows that people are always looking for someone that they really get along with and love and who really loves them back, right?
6: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: But, well, I keep listening to his voice. I have him on my recorder, on my iTunes, on my phone, so we hang out all the time, really. But I miss my best friend a lot.
6: Well, the following question is, um, uh, will Maya ever get her friend back? Will will she ever get her... Nice friend back.
1: In his most recent email to me, sent from his family's new apartment in Paris, Louis wrote, Hi Maya, sup?
6: You have to find the person in the world. If you, if you gotta cross the world, who cares? You just need that person. If you're in America and the person is in England, you can cross to England or whatever country she's in that you're not in and um...
1: Do you think you'll find a person or have you found them? It's my cat.
4: It's
6: my cat. I I have like two. They can be like different genders. Older than you, younger than you. More narrow-minded than you uh less interested in this thing than you I've like two my cat and Maya and um yeah One and only. I-, I have two
1: I used to watch Louie running free in the Three, park Two chasing treasures in the grass, his head waving up and down like a tail. I like to watch him from the white stone benches, as boundless as the dogs we admired so much. I wondered if he'd remember me at that time because that's how I'd always remember him. Louis, at seven years old, flying through the grass, humming wildly aloud, but never quite for me.
2: That was The Sitter Dispatch, produced by 3rd coast own Maya Goldberg-Safer and Dennis Funk, <clears throat> <clears throat> featuring Louis Chini. Louis is now in 3rd grade, and he says, My cat sitting is going really well. <laughs> Three people have pulled tabs off my flyer. I love doing this. I am so excited to meet a cat. <laughs> But none of these three people have actually emailed me yet. <laughs> Today we're recording Resound Live from the Hideout in Chicago. Our theme is odd couples. Now, this next story isn't really about a traditional odd couple, as in two people who bring disparate traits into an exciting new relationship with one another, like, say, the introvert and the extrovert. No, this one is about the odd couple within. The inner you that might not match the outer you, or at least what people assume about your exterior when they look at you. You'll see what I mean. Here is Gamon
4: Pyeol.
3: This is a Korean drama. The way they talk sounds like waves going up and down on the ocean. It soothes me. Oh, by the way, I'm black. Black like Pepsi. I live in Canarsie, Brooklyn. But I go to an international high school called East-West, all the way in Flushing, Queens. I chose it so I can be around Asians, like my friend Hawa.
1: You should be Asian, but... God decided, no, you are black.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to be black. I'm just in love with everything Asian. Well, I found it strange the first time because you're Jamaican. My cousins, Javon and Angela, can without a doubt say that I'm different. Korean music every single day in the house, bumping it loud
7: i Korean, we're Korean, everything Korean.
3: And when I say come play basketball, you said no, you want to look up on some, some album coming out, you want to buy it. Even leaving your voice message on your phone in Korean language.
2: At the tone, please record your message.
3: It started in junior high, when I found some Korean music videos online. Back then, when I saw Asian people... I mostly thought of nail salons and kung fu movies sold by a vendor in a mall. I never thought Koreans had their own pop music, Korean pop, K-pop. It sounded like R&B and hip-hop, but they were still true to themselves. Like in music videos, when they meet someone older, they always bow. I thought it was really cool. I even started performing K-pop concerts in my shower. Yeah, babe. So That's when I decided I wanted to bring my talents To the Korean people I want to be a K-pop producer Just like my idol JYP Park Jin Young mm. In Brooklyn, I'm Rayon Right now I'm just Looking for perfect sound Like a dun- 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 But in Korea, I could be Gaman Black star the Korean name I came up with. Da, na, 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 na. Something like that. But on the real, for a Jamaican-born kid from Brooklyn to win a Korean music award, it seemed like a La La Land idea. It's frustrating. Like for the Korean parade, I asked my barber to trim my Korean name into the back of my head. When I showed him the Korean words, he was like, yo, my man, you sure? He was worried I didn't have it right.
7: My man got a tattoo. It's supposed to say top dog in Chinese. Right? You know what it says? Speak dog. No, it
3: says wild dog. Even my dad likes to throw out the precautions. How are you going to get to Korea? Are you going to ride a bicycle or something
4: like How are you getting to Korea? How are you going to finance yourself? How are you going
3: to eat? How are you going to sleep? How are you going to drink? Hmm? Hmm? The world out there is just waiting to just gobbly up. I know he's thinking what my mom always tells me. Don't hang your basket where your hand can't reach it. Or it'll drop down licking at your head.
4: When it comes down to the Korean culture, the Korean language, are you willing to make the sacrifice to, to know it to the level where you become exceptional and, and not just mediocre where it is concerned?
7: Number five, 천천히 말해 주세요.
4: Learning to speak
3: Korean is rough.
7: Please speak slowly. 천천히 말해
3: 주세요. That phrase, please speak slowly, um... I tend to use that phrase a lot. My Korean friends don't really help.
1: So you want me to? Yeah, I'll will start talking to you in Korean if you want.
3: Alright, so. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> Not now. Maybe tomorrow. Or maybe Monday.
3: Mm, mm, mm The closest I've been to Korea is China. I went there on a school trip. When I went to China, I was stared at, just like chocolate, Wait. chocolate, yeah. <laughs> Morgan Jones. He's black. Just like me. Yeah, they got some bad jokes over there about black folks, you know. They got some pretty tough jokes. He lived in China for six years and worked in Chinese radio. Once you live in that culture, you know, you're going to go through a lot of changes personally and mentally. And so, you know, emotionally, there's going to be a lot of stress and strain. Morgan gave some great advice to put myself inside Korean culture before I go there. I'm going to do it.
4: First, I want to welcome (laughs) our guest here today.
3: My Korean teacher invited me to her all Korean church.
4: Rayon, you just stand up real
7: quick?
3: Wow, I'm the only black kid in the building. I'm sticking out like a loaf of bread amongst pigeons.
5: Let's really welcome him and just make him feel at home.
3: I ended up joining the praise and worship team. do you want to eat? They found out I'm a beast on the drums.
7: Of our
3: family, my man, you now, the person who should really hear my beats and my songs is JYP, my role model, the hottest music producer in Korea. I went to JYP's American headquarters in Koreatown. Right now, I am at JYP Studios America. My heart was thumping like me playing the drums at one million beats per minute. That's fast. I got to meet JYP. Hey, how
7: you That's JYP.
3: I got to meet JYP. He gave my Korean name a green light.
7: You got great sense. Oh man, I'll never forget this day. There can't be a better name for you. It's cool. It's still edgy. And he likes my style. Perfect name. <sighs> I can't help but to think this R&B soul thing, it grows
3: in pain. JYP and says that black people in the U.S. and Koreans are both drawn to R&B and soul because it comes out of oppression.
7: Korea was always being invaded for the past 500 years. So if you really look at the Korean traditional singing called pansori, it's very soulful. It's like almost like ah. ah, ah. The similarity between soul R and B music and the Korean tradition music is amazing.
3: How does someone like me, who comes from a Caribbean American background, be able to bring that to the Korean market? For example, you brought Korean pop culture to the United States. The most important thing is
7: being true to yourself. If you try to Go to Korea and try to become like Koreans. There's no reason for you to exist in Korea. So my advice for you is bring your Caribbean American flavor.
3: All right, bring back that try. Let me hear I'm in the living room making my own flavor. Yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty good. This is my father, Hugh Wright. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep 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 the beat flowing. Keep the beat yeah. flowing. I am mean, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening.
3: Yeah. Um, do you wish I was more into Jamaican stuff or culture?
7: <laughs> well, you you're a born Jamaican already, so
3: that
7: won't won't change.
3: And Korea, here I come. Are you ready for me?
2: That was Gaman (laughs) Puhl. Produced by Rayon Wright for Radio Rookies from WNYC in New York back in 2010. Rayon is now in the Army, stationed in Kuwait through the summer. He's still into K-pop and plans to get back into it when he returns to the States. He also said he wants to release an album of workout music. Here's an odd couple in this day and age, paper and pencil. Pick them up and write to us. Our street address is 848 East Grand Avenue, Chicago, Illinois, 60611. Less of an odd couple, fingers and keyboard. Our email address is resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Speaking of paper and pencils, coming up after the break, a single letter connects a radio host, I'm not going to say which one, and a felon.
0: Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
2: Welcome back to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival live from the hideout in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi, next to me at the master controls, the one and only Dennis Funk. We refer to him as DJ Funk, not only because he is like the Wizard of Oz back there, working that color-coded gizmo like a NASA engineer, a NASA engineer with the timing of Gene Krupa and the rhythm of Fetty Wap, but also, those are his actual initials. ReSound is a carefully curated show. We listen for the best audio stories from around the world, and then design a show that will intrigue, inform, and inspire you, our fabulous listening audience. Tonight, our theme is odd couples. We've all been a part of one at some point. Now, our next story is about an odd couple I've become a part of. One that started with a simple letter. Better writers than I have waxed ecstatic about the lost art that is the handwritten letter, with good reason. The feel of the paper, the look of the ink, the smell of the distance this envelope has traveled, these tangibles are the same to the writer as a wine's perfume to a sommelier. You look at it, hold it up to the light, smell it. Is it smoky, spicy, sweet, zesty? It's mystery, exquisite. Between its folds could be romance, solace, or terror. I myself like nothing better than sitting down to a smooth empty pad, favorite pen in hand, casting away the modern shackles of typing, texting, and tweeting. So does the man with whom I've exchanged 100 letters over the last three years.
4: Dear Third Coast, You actually gave out your mailing address on ReSound last night, so I figured I'd write... I'm a big fan of the show, and I especially enjoyed last night's broadcast about people far from home. The story about Alma working here and supporting her family back in the Philippines was touching. I once worked at a plastics factory with a sweetheart of a woman also named Alma who was doing the same thing. Last night's broadcast also touched a nerve because in my current situation, I too feel far from home. I'm only an hour away from where I was born and raised, but feel a million miles away. I'm facing between 13 to 15 years, all my family has jumped ship, and I've pretty much lost my sense of what home really is. Not sure if I ever knew what it was. I was adopted as a baby by my maternal grandparents, raised thinking my biological mom was my sister. It's very Jerry Springer-esque, I know. I only found out as a teenager the truth, so I think... That may have had some lasting effect on what home and family mean. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Thank you so much for such an excellent program. For an hour each Wednesday, you provide me with the means to get my head out of here for a while. I don't know if you'd be happy to have a soon-to-be-twice-convicted bank robber. Unarmed, as a fan or not, but that is what you have in me. Keep up the good work. Respectfully, Dan Groat.
2: Dan Grote, Dan Grote, who was this public, radio-loving, two-time, unarmed bank robber? I had to know. I sat down to write him back immediately, though, of course, given his situation, behind bars smack in the middle of downtown Chicago, time wasn't exactly an issue. Dear Dan, we loved getting your letter. And might I say, what nice handwriting you have. Home is a tricky idea for many people, I think. The home you come from versus the home you try and create wherever it is you land. Neither is always what you expect, what you want, or what you would predict. Especially, I think, as you move from childhood to adulthood and look back. There certainly is no recipe or road map. It sounds like you have a complicated story to tell. As you say, very Springer-esque. At least you haven't lost your sense of humor. It's great to hear from people who enjoy the show, as we often put it out and have no idea who it is that's listening. Stay well. All the best, Gwen Maxine. Every week or so, a letter would land on my desk, written with a golf pencil on a legal pen, in Dan's neat, clear print.
4: Dear Ms. Maxi and the rest of Third Coast, My handwriting, childlike printing, has been called many things. Nice has never been one of them. Happy Halloween! I'm going as a drain on the taxpayers this year. <laughs> Greetings from the one place in Chicago that the Stanley Cup will not be appearing at. Howdy! Got your letter today and as usual I was happier than a hooker at a sex toy convention to hear from you.
2: Dan's letters made me laugh out loud. Dan's sense of humor and mine were like twins separated at birth, a kind of twisted elixir. And so every week I took a quiet moment to sit down and write him back. Writing a letter, I feel like I'm my best self. And then I started to think that he too may be at his best self in front of a piece of paper. And our best selves started to get to know one another. He told me he had a house on two acres and barbecued a lot. He had an ex-wife and two kids. He was an award-winning trumpet player in high school and had a student's pilot's license. Also, he was a repo man.
4: I'm glad you enjoyed my last letter. It wasn't my best work. I thought it made me sound whiny and perhaps a little desperate for attention. Thank you for saying I'm a good writer. That actually means a lot to me as I'm trying to get my stuff published. I did indeed get your postcard from Colorado. Annie Oakley was a great choice. Something about a gal with a gun. Okay, to answer your questions, yes. Not having the ability to maintain a relationship with my boys is perhaps the worst thing I will ever have to deal with, and I struggle with it every day. Joe and Charlie will always be the center of my universe. As it turns out, though, I married and impregnated Satan.
2: Every letter brought words strung together into sentences as bright and luminous as a girl's girl's girl sign on 42nd Street. To say nothing of crazy descriptions of his life in and out of jail.
4: I found it absolutely fascinating that the guys who claimed to be the baddest of badasses here were all posted up watching twilight on the tv earlier today see that's the kind of shit they need to show on lockup
2: and without a doubt they were absolutely filled with surprises
4: that poet Donald Hall, the guy I mentioned in my last letter, turns out he was Poet Laureate of the U.S. in 2006. He's supposed to tell me what all that entails in his next letter, and he asked me to send him what I thought was my best poem and my best short story. Thanks for the Harper stuff. I enjoy Harper's. I'm glad Turkey Day was okay. Martha Stewart does have great recipes. I would do her in a heartbeat just for the breakfast she'd cook me the next morning. Plus, I'm pretty sure you get a bedazzled condom as a souvenir of the experience. Too much? The brine sounds fabulous.
2: Here I was... Hemming and hawing over even mentioning Martha Stewart, let alone the Martha Stewart brine I was trying out for Thanksgiving to my twice-convicted friend, the bank robber, for fear of coming off like, you know, a naive, borderline, bougie suburbanite, which, by the way, I am. And what does he say?
4: Martha Stewart does have great recipes.
2: Who knew that Dan Grote and Martha Stewart had more in common than just a rap sheet? The plot was thickening. <laughs> Though my friend Dan had never gotten beyond high school, here is a rough and very incomplete list of the people and things he referenced in his letters. The New Yorker, Saul Bellow, Dave Eggers, Richard Ford, Jonathan Brandmeier, Hemingway, David Foster Wallace, poet Mary Ruffle, David Carr, Terry Gross, and having a thing for Kathy Bates and Delta Burke.
4: P.S. I may be developing a crush on ABC News weatherwoman Cheryl Scott. Normal or creepy?
2: Dan is a huge public radio fan and said that a lot of his fellow inmates are too. So much so that once they had an on-being drinking game... that involved taking a swig of illegal homemade brew every time Krista Tippett said, um, right, or okay.
5: Um,
2: right. Okay. Okay. Now that is a fast way to go. Oh, oh wait. And this came in the mail after I heard a story I did for NPR about going to a dinner with nudists.
4: Naked. Hey, so let me get this straight. In the name of journalism, it is perfectly acceptable for the first lady of public radio, Gwen Maxi, to get naked with a bunch of other people in a restaurant for a nice meal. But I shed my clothes at the Olive Garden one time, just one time, and it's called Disturbing the Peace and Indecent Exposure. Crazy. Actually, I probably went a bit too far with the off-handed comment I made about all-you-can-eat breadsticks. But still, do you know how hard it is to get the video of something like that off of YouTube? Well, i tell you, it's pretty damn hard. Goddamn smartphones.
2: Dan wasn't just a great writer. He was also a great reader. He absolutely devoured books. In fact, he told me he had read close to 500 books just while awaiting sentencing. When I heard that, I knew for sure that this was not your typical radio host bank robber relationship. Oh, no. There was an absolutely celestial reason why we had met. You see, I buy used books compulsively, and Dan reads like a motherfucker. It was beshert, fate, meant to be. I started combing the shelves of used books for sale at my library, carefully selecting the ones I thought Dan would like. I sent him package after package after package.
4: Thanks again for the books. Outstanding selection. As of this writing, I've made my way through the book about the alcoholic habits of our presidents, the memoir of the Redhead and English Gal, and a few of the short stories in both the Plowshares Literary Journal and the O. Henry Prize Anthology. All fantastic. P.S. The cover of the book about Hemingway, the one where he's drawn lying nude in a bed with a strategically placed book covering his dick, it's a tad creepy. However, I know what the cover art on my memoir will be. I can truly say I put the groat in grotesque.
2: I sent Dan easily a hundred books until the jail mailroom got wise to our scheme. You are absolutely not supposed to send a prisoner a book because, you know, God forbid he should read. And it landed Dan in a little hot water. The logistics of his prison life were confounding to me. He was only allowed books sent from a bookseller like Amazon. The prison was put into lockdown sporadically and for reasons completely unknown to him. And when his second lawyer wanted him to have a psych eval, the Bureau of Prisons flew him from Chicago to Seattle via Pahrump, Nevada, and Chickasha, Oklahoma, to get it. Not sure why they couldn't do a psych eval in Chicago. I guess there aren't enough psychiatrists here in the third largest city in the country. Dan sent me this letter. From Oklahoma.
4: I like to think I have a fairly adequate picture of Chickasha out my window. It appears to be afflicted by the kind of poverty that's rarely seen outside of Appalachia. Small clapboard houses in which plywood seems to be the most popular window covering. I try not to judge people. I, for the most part, fail miserably, but I try anyway. So, all I will say about the people I've seen here in the jail and out my window is that I'm fairly certain I have found the largest concentration per square mile of mullets to be found west of the Mississippi. That is for males and females. I'm waiting to run into a deputy with the last name of Jode. Too obscure? To sum up, What I guess I'm saying is, kill me.
2: Every time Dan traveled, I was regaled with HBO-worthy descriptions, especially of Con Air.
4: As you can imagine, when you put members of the opposite sex together and... Up to that point, they've had no face to face interaction with each other's respective gender outside of correction staff. The atmosphere turns very high school dance ish. Awkward small talk, subtle and not so subtle innuendo, dished out equally by the males and females, by the way. And eventually, everyone kind of pairs off into their own little conversation. The one who chose me as her conversational better half was a woman named Carol. She's in her mid-fifties, kind of looks like a mid-fifties Tanya Harding. Anyway, Carol was telling me about a ranch in Wyoming, and I'm telling her about how jacked up my day has been. Just be as small talk between two people whose only common thread is the handcuffs they're wearing. A silence of a minute or two is broken by Carol saying how cute she thinks I am. She asks how old I am, I tell her, I'll be 38 on the 29th. She nods her head as if to say, "'I made a good choice being born on that day.'" She followed that up with what I believe she intended to be her best sultry look, but it came across looking like a prelude to some kind of serious neurological event. <laughs> While maintaining the look, she let me know that she would love to bake me a cake, jump out of it, and offer up a series of lewd acts gradually increasing in degrees of difficulty.'" I believe I was blushing when I thanked her for her offer, but asked what her husband might think about that. Nothing, she said. I killed him. That's why I'm doing 17 years. You married?
2: did all this unnecessary traveling to gather the documentation he needed for his upcoming sentencing hearing. But then the hearing was delayed and delayed again. Nevertheless, eventually he'd be leaving Chicago. And though I'd nervously put it off, I knew that if I didn't go and meet him soon, I may never lay eyes on the guy whose letters I'd grown so fond of.
4: Hi, Gwen. Let me begin by saying I'm terribly sorry to hear about your father. I wanted to make sure that you knew that you and your family were in my thoughts and for what it's worth, prayers. Howdy. Got your letter today. I'm so happy to hear that your dad is doing better. I was pleasantly surprised not to be getting bad news when I opened the mail. Hello there. How is your daughter doing? Any word yet on the Middle Sons College apps? Good luck with your black belt test. I'll just say it now, Gwen Maxai versus Rhonda Rousey in 2018. P.S. Your rescue dog sounds awesome.
2: One cool Sunday morning, I went to see Dan at the Metropolitan Correctional Center. I got there when visiting hours began at 8am along with maybe 50 other people. Between all the waiting and the processing, I finally made it to the visiting room close to 10, one hour before visiting hours would end. Clusters of families were having vending machine picnics and plastic seats around a plastic table the size of a steering wheel. Talking, laughing, huddling and hugging, each group its own flower arrangement centered around the big bloom the man in the orange jumpsuit. I was a little schwitzy. I had absolutely no idea what Dan looked like. Tattoos? Piercings? Bulging muscles ripped from pumping iron to deter anyone from stabbing him with a shiv while standing in line for gloppy chow? Was he white, black, tall, short? Was his nickname Crusher, Slasher, or Mongo? Then, after yet more waiting, He came in, waved, and walked right over to me. And there he was, a younger version of Uncle Fester. It was a little like a blind date. The kind you need to be strip-searched for. Him, not me. Halting conversation, puttering interruptions, eyes grazing the floor. But soon, while the smoky aroma of cellophane-encased pizza and ribs wafted by, the conversation started to simmer. And then the question that had been pinballing around my skull for months fell down my throat and popped out. My exact words were, What's a nice guy like you doing in a place like this? He shrugged.
4: Low self-esteem. Some confidence issues, that kind of thing.
2: Dan told me he'd been doing pretty well as a functioning alcoholic. But eventually, between the family he came from, he didn't meet his biological father till he was 17 when his dad turned him on to cocaine, and some of his own self-admitted bad choices, his life started spiraling out of control in his early 30s.
4: Bottom line, I guess, is I'm fucked up enough to be a good writer. Bad news is, on paper, I'm the kind of guy who becomes a good writer and then, just for the hell of it, pulls a Hemingway or Hunter S. Thompson and offs myself. And that disturbing segue brings me to the answer to why I robbed a bank twice. I robbed the bank in order to finance a long, drawn-out suicide. It sounds pretty sad, I know. When things get hopeless for me and I feel I have no one and it's time to check out, I'm a coward. I don't have the balls to throw myself in front of a train or jump off a building because I'm scared it's gonna hurt. Big tough guy, right? I sat on the back deck of my house one night with the barrel of a shotgun in my mouth for a half hour but couldn't do it. I know it's an old joke. But one of the times I'd hold up in a shitty motel and tried to pull my leaving Las Vegas routine, I called a suicide hotline and was put on hold. No shit really happened. Another time, a homeless drug dealer's wife, Stormy was her name. She and her old man sold me an ounce of coke and when they asked me what I was going to do with so much, I told them I was going to snort and drink myself to death. Three days later, they showed back up at the motel room, found me unconscious on the floor, and nursed me back to health by smoking crack with me for a week to get through the withdrawals. I'm a pretty big loser, huh?
2: In this state of mind, Dan walked into a Banco Popular and handed the teller a note that said, This is a robbery. I have a gun. I'm really sorry about this. Thank you. But he didn't have a gun. Nevertheless, he was looking at 48 to 240 months. Two hundred and forty months? Why so long? Well, he had a few big problems working against him. One, he robbed a bank. Federal institution, federal crime. And with or without a gun, it's considered a violent offense. Two, he robbed a bank once before in 2008. Still, though, 20 years in jail? I found that hard to swallow. It seemed very unjust. Not that I always expect actual justice out of the justice system. In fact, I started to consider advocating for him in federal court. But I had to think. I knew that it was completely possible that I'd wildly misjudged the situation, blinded by Dan's ability to turn a phrase and crack a joke. Were we really friends? Or could Dan be taking me for an exceptionally long ride? Why exactly was I sending him books, putting money into his account? To replace his radio, of course. At one point, even he asked me, So why are you doing this? Was Dan really a Harper's reading, recipe following, trumpet playing, poetry writing, mensa belonging, felon with a heart of gold who just needed a second, okay, third chance? When he gets out, is he going to make me a meal that would make James Beard weep or steal my identity and empty my bank account? I came to the conclusion that my relationship with Dan has given me a supporting role in a fabulous play that is only in its first act. I love the plot, the character development, and especially, of course, the dialogue. The setting, not so much, but I'm hooked, invested, and I am in until the final curtain.
0: All right.
2: When Dan's sentencing hearing was finally scheduled over a year into our correspondence, I felt increasingly uneasy. 20 years was a long time. And now that I'd gotten to know him so well, I found the thought of him facing a federal judge with nary a soul on his side besides his public defender very unsettling. It was so hard for him to advocate for himself. The guy can't even get a pencil that's longer than three inches, for God's sake. And not to be too cosmic about the whole thing, but isn't helping each other really the reason why we're here, as in on this earth? So I called his lawyer, who really liked Dan, and asked if I could speak on his behalf at his sentencing hearing. He said, absolutely. I've come before the court not as an expert, a psychologist, or a lawyer. I've come before the court as a writer and producer who stumbled into a relationship with the most unusual, and unarmed, bank robber. One who loves Hemingway, David Foster Wallace, rescue dogs, reading Harpers... The judge, Amy St. Eve, was fair and stern. I I don't know if my testimony made a big difference, but we got good news. She sentenced him to the minimum. 48 months, which after calculating time served and a few other complicated computations amounted to about three and a half years. She reminded him that this was his last chance and encouraged him to make the most of it. Although I imagine she must say this to all the shackled men who come before her. She also recommended drug counseling, which would mean medium security. He was hoping to go to a prison in California and then enroll in a program at San Francisco State for ex-felons. But for reasons unknown, he was sent to maximum security penitentiary in Waymart, Pennsylvania. You have a global TelLink collect call from
5: Dan Grote,
2: an inmate at a federal prison. To accept this call, press 5 now. Hello? Hello. Dan! Uh, how are you?
5: I am peachy. How about yourself?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm going to get right into it. What would you like to say to our live audience that now knows a lot about you?
5: Hello. I hope everybody's having a good time. I believe the hideout is one of the few bars in Chicago that I never got kicked out of.
2: This call it from a federal prison. I have to apologize. I know you haven't seen the script yet. But yes. there there is it's a very long script but there is one joke at your expense for which I feel the need to apologize.
5: Well, I mean I've had, you know, almost 40 years of jokes at my expense, so <laughs> I would rather it come from you. What well, is it? You haven't
2: heard it? you haven't heard it yet. <laughs> what is it? Well, I might have compared you to Uncle Fester. <laughs>
5: I've already told you in letters that I got saddled with the with the prison nickname of Magoo. So,
2: no, you Go did f- not tell me that.
5: Yeah, that's what everybody's been calling me ever since I went out to Seattle. That's what everybody calls me. Oh, in here, you're it's Magoo. I, I, no, no, and I don't even wear fucking glasses. So I really don't get it. But uh, uh, all right, uh, it just beeped, so we're probably gonna get cut off.
2: Wait, anything else you want to say?
5: Um, yeah. I, guess, I mean, I guess if you have low expectations and low standards, I'm still single. <laughs>
2: Well, something might work out for you. We'll see. Hello? Oh! If all goes well, on Sunday, September 23rd, 2018, Dan Grote will get out of the U.S. penitentiary, Canaan. Could it sound any more biblical? I expect to be there, if not for moral support, then to cash in on the life-changing, mind-bending meal he's been promising me. From there, who knows? A halfway house in Cook County, a trek to San Francisco State, reconciliation with the people in his past? Hard to know. Dan is still in the process of trying to rewrite that section of his life, his next act. Not easy. But then again, we all know what he can do with a golf pencil and a legal pad. While I plan on staying in contact with Dan for a long time to come, some odd couples can't muster the glue necessary to last forever. There's a certain equation involving just the right amount of curiosity, tolerance for otherness, and the kind of odd couple friction that ignites a spark but doesn't burn the house down. Now, as you leave the hideout tonight, maybe you're realizing that you are half of an odd couple with your partner, your pet, your sister, or yourself. Whichever it may be, remember that we at Third Coast think it's a beautiful combination.
4: So, it's Wednesday night. It's 10 p.m., and as I write this, your show is just starting. Cost of borrowing a radio, one baked chicken lunch tray. Cost of a pack of batteries, two breakfast trays. Being able to listen to ReSound again after all the horseshit radio I've been subjected to the last half a year? Priceless.
2: You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxine. The program is produced by Dennis Funk and curated by Johanna Zorn and Sarah Geis of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear more than 1,500 outstanding documentaries from around the world. And subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, the Riva and David Logan Foundation, the William Blair and Company Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council Agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization, was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. You can also, of course, connect with us through Facebook and Twitter. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.